0: Hello, my name is Derek Arden and welcome to uh, Monday Night Live. I've got Marcus Dimble with me, with me and this is uh, session two after a fascinating session one. If you haven't uh, looked at session one, please look at, uh, look at it on my YouTube channel, Derek Arden, or on the Negotiators podcast where you can listen to it. Welcome, Marcus. Uh, Thanks for joining us once again. I'm going to hand over to Nigel Kirby now, who from the University of Essex, who's got some uh, questions for you. Are you there, Nigel?
1: Hi. Hi, Marcus. Thank you very much for uh, attending. I found that really interesting and fascinating. I could listen to you all day long and would still come away learning more than I knew beforehand. Um, A couple of sort of questions, if I may. Um, Can you elaborate more about how red team thinking can be used to stress test strategies, uh, strengthen plans, identify unseen threats, uncover opportunities and enable better making decisions, particularly in the context of the business world?
2: Yes, uh, absolutely. And that was a sort of... You know, Genesis of where red teaming came from, from a military perspective to have the enemy's perspective to look at your plan and what would they do against it? And therefore, how can you change your plan to counter what you think they might do on the battlefield? And then what Bryce did was take that from the concept of the army university into business through his book, Red Teaming. And he tried to do that. And he did that successfully for a couple of years, where teams would form as a red team. And then as strategies were written and plans were formed, they'd be given to that red team. And then they would put them through the process where they are being collegially a contrarian. They disagree agreeably and they dissect those plans and strategies and break them apart for all of their assumptions that are within real understanding of the problem that they're trying to solve and why they've been written in the first place. And basically what we do is, you know, it takes it and it makes a plan better. It doesn't make a better plan because a lot of the concern from the executives, which is a sort of carryover from the red v blue type enemy mentality, is that if, if you take my plan or strategy, you're going to shred it and I'm going to get Marcus's plan back. And my plan's going to be the bin and I'm going to look like a fool. And that's absolutely the opposite of what it is. What it's going to do is take your plan, dissect it, and then analyze each of those parts where the thinking hasn't been applied critically enough some of those threats that you haven't seen, the challenges and assumptions you've made are wishful thinking often. But also, again, all very negative perspectives, threats and challenges. It's also the missed opportunities. And we've seen this in the last 18 months in COVID is so many opportunities as individuals and businesses you miss because you're so focused on the threats. Your head's down, you're blinkered, you're in that tunnel vision of competition, environment, business, what's going on that all these beautiful opportunities are floating around you and you don't see them, therefore you don't grab them. But you do see the ones that do. And the ones that do have really made a difference and are surviving and thriving now because they've seen how to do this, whereas others don't. So that's the real entity of what red teaming was first about, was to look at those strategic plans, initiatives, and gnarly, wicked problems that organisations are facing.
1: Do you think sort of future uh, headhunter agencies will be looking at red team thinking as a vital skill set in terms of identifying future thought leaders?
2: 100 percent. They already are. The, The number one skill of the Fortune 50 CEOs when asked last year was critical thinking. The World Economic Forum last October put out a paper. Um, which they stated that the the top two on the list were critical thinking analysis was the one that was most increasing and in demand and problem solving was number two. Uh, McKinsey, much as we love to hate them, they put out that there's clear demand for higher cognitive skills and it will grow. And they reckon that by 2025, analytical thinking, creativity and flexibility will be among the most sought after skills out there. So this is definitely top of the list. And The problem with most of these things, it sits in what's called the soft skills bucket, uh, which just sounds lame in its own name and people don't like it. Oh, soft skills, don't need that. It's all about the hard skills. When you recruit for somebody, you focus on the hard skills. When you look at their CV, you focus on the hard skills. When you're pushing people at work to go on training, 85% of the skills required to get on in business, Harvard Business Review Study 2015, require soft skills. 15% require hard skills. What's the training budget spent on? 85% of the training budget is spent on hard skills. So it's a complete inverse proportional requirement. And therefore, it's no wonder that you see executives struggling with the soft skills, yeah. empathy, communication, leadership skills, when they get to those levels, because they've got the hard skills galore. And this is where, again, going back to what Derek was talking about earlier, I think the military teaches you those capabilities. So bringing in an, an ex-military, you know, bringing in a veteran to your organization, they're coming with those soft skills preloaded they'll learn the hard skills they can pick those up but you get in those up front and i think that's a real powerful combination
1: very very interesting And another question before i bring in tim if i may can you sort of tell us a little bit more about the sort of biases and heuristics that uh, influence or guide our thinking when we make decisions and how they can negatively impact on thought leaders who think they've strategized, they think they've got the ideal plan. But in reality, there can be inherent uh, flaws or weaknesses that the future will find the fallacies of those heuristics and biases.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the all sort of stems from Adam Smith, a Scottish philosopher who for sort of three centuries convinced us all that we were rational human beings. And unless we were dissuaded by love or strong emotions and lack of information, then we'd made rational decisions. It wasn't really until Daniel Cannibal came along and just challenged this and he said, absolutely not. You know, our brains are machines that are built for jumping to conclusions. Fact. And all of our brains are influenced by biases and a dizzying array of the many that are out there and heuristics. And again, people deny that fact. To deny that means you don't have a brain between your ears because it's physically impossible not to be influenced by bias. So what Kahneman says is, you know, and it goes back to the origination of how we survive, is you know, we all have a brain. Our majority of thinking is what he calls system one thinking, which is fast, rapid, unconscious, often error prone but it comes from surviving the saber-toothed tiger, surviving when a bus turns around the corner in the middle of the road, and you instantly react. Versus system two, which is far more logical, conscious, thought out, takes a bit longer, but is far less error prone. And the problem is 95% of us think in system one all the time, which when you're facing these complex problems that we're looking at today, you can't be leaping in. And on our, we do the thinking leader podcast and the strap line for that is, you know, bad leaders react, good leaders plan, great leaders think. That doesn't mean you sit around thinking all day. You know, it means there's action very quickly, but you are taking that time to think before you react. So you're responding after thought versus knee jerk reaction. Sometimes you have to react, which is where system one does kick in, but we have to shift our brains. And the reason why we're thinking that way is because of all the biases that we're affected by some of it unconscious bias, Often some of it conscious, you know, optimism bias, normalcy bias, gambler's fallacy. There's hundreds of dizzying arrays of these types of biases that affect us and the heuristics of mental shortcuts that we've learned over time that make us trigger when we're faced with pressure. And there's often an issue where, you know, however calm and cool you are, when you apply pressure to somebody, they can often react in a very different way. There's a, there's, a, there's a strategic development initiative tool you can use where it plots your position on one stress level and then on another. And as, the further you are apart, it shows how Jekyll and Hyde you are in those reactive statuses. And therefore, it's really important to understand then what the tools and techniques do is it helps you surface the biases, both your own and your team, but also those are the individuals you're working with. So if you've got a CEO who's given you a strategy to the red team, one of the first things we'll do is an assessment of the CEO, an analysis of, how they're thinking, what they think like, what's influencing them. and uh, We did a podcast with Dr. Gary Klein recently, and he said that he has clients who get pregnant with a plan or pregnant with a deal. And if you going to go and tell the CEO that his baby's ugly, then you're a braver man than I am. You know, so it's it's understanding that person, how they're going to respond and react to what you say, how you say it, and how you interpret it. And someone said the other day, he said, we love red team things. It's, it's very sneaky, sneaky in a Machiavellian way, but in a well-intended way, because it allows you to be a chameleon and adapt your approach and your thought process and your briefing techniques to make sure that the person you're addressing is receiving in the right manner intended. And that's why it allows us to, what we say, disagree agreeably while being professionally provocative in a collegiate manner, because otherwise you become that lone dissenter mouthing off and everyone just thinks, ah, Stimblebee again, here's another challenge, but without that. Collegiate behavior, and Kahneman goes on to say: he says if organizations wish to survive, they have to protect their dissenters, because they're the people who are passionate, they care the most, they're frustrated and speaking up more. And if you dash them, they'll go, and people see that, and therefore they keep their head below the parapet. And in doing so, you get sheep-like passivity and mediocrity, and the more bias kick in and continue to make that as an institutionalized mitigation against groupthink.
1: Fascinating. I could go on for more, but I'll hand over to Tim, because I know Tim's got a few questions before Derek rings the bell and calling time out.
0: Okay, so we're going to switch over to Texas now, if you're there, Tim, Tim Durkin, and there's a few questions coming up in the chat box, which I'll pick up um, afterwards. Um,
3: Tim. Commander, I would like to begin by, as a former Vietnam-era Infantry Platoon Sergeant for the United States Marine Corps, otherwise known as Uncle Sam's Misguided Children. How incredibly proud I am that you served among us. So thank you very, very much. Um, you get us and I think we get you as well. So thank you for that. Um, I am a red team advocate. I have been for over a year now. And in the interest of um, the, my friends that are on this call, not promoted just you, I will tell them that the red team bootcamp was the best $99.99 99 pounds that I have ever spent. Not only was the process enjoyable and a very, very well-written course. Um, and by the way, I blew the case study completely. <laughs> I wasn't red team thinking. And, uh, but I will, I, I will say that um, I used it. I went to the course. I, uh, I then worked with one of my clients and we have had a spectacular success story based on starting with the six strategic questions, which you get in the bootcamp and also doing think, write and share, which is such an easy and unbelievably effective process. Um, just those two alone were, were worth it and have returned my investment many, many times. My question is, um, I know that we lost the, um, the University of Foreign Military and Cultural Studies. Um, that was 86 uh, by I don't know who. But without throwing you under a political bus, could, um, could it be as used as an example that the mistakes made in the Afghanistan withdrawal by leaders, not I'm not talking politicians, by leaders indicate a loss or a lack of red team thinking. In other words, nobody ever said, what if the Afghan military throws down their weapons and takes off? What if we close Bagram Air Base? And it turns out that that's the, probably the one place we could defend and save 13 Marines lives. Um, Would you have any, would you say that showed a a lack of red team thinking? Again, I, I, no, no. I know i put you in a difficult no, situation. Not at
2: all. We've, we, we've discussed this at length, as you can imagine, for the last couple of months since this has all happened. And our initial response was, where's all the red teaming gone? Why hasn't this been red teamed? How could this not have been red teamed? My, my kids could have red teamed this incident and see it coming. My cat could have, I did a great joke about a bloke down the pub and a cat predicted all this long before the president did. And having done more research and contacted our people in the three-letter agencies and spoke to them, and the pentagon they said this this was red team to death and one of the rules of red team is it only works if you let it and also you've got to have the top cover so you know if if the cia and others are passing up their red team findings and it's going to a national security council level but it's not been heard or it's been filtered or it's been ignored there's not a lot else you can do and sadly when you're dealing with that level of command and you know power You've got, to under, you've got to try to understand why it's not been listened to and why other things, you know, the French started evacuating in May. Mm-hmm. You know, so if the French are doing it right from a military perspective, then, you know, we're way behind the drag curve. So the red teaming did go on. And, you know, we, we'd, we'd red teamed many things in the last 18 months of all which have pretty much come true. Capitol Hill storming, we red teamed that in March 2020 as a mm-hmm. predicted outcome. Uh, so Afghanistan was not a surprise to anybody. Uh, so it's, it's only the bewilderment of why it was allowed to happen the way it did that still stands today and we're still not getting any answers. Or as you've seen with the Marine Lieutenant Colonel, who's being dismissed and he's about to leave, you know, he, he stood up and asked for He demanded accountability of the yeah. generals and the commander-in-chief. And by doing that through the channels that he did it and not the proper process, he, he's been removed from command and is choosing to leave. But that's a man standing by his laurels and his integrity Because at the end of the day, we deserve it. We are public people and they are public servants, and there needs to be accountability for these decisions when we see the the horrific impact that they have.
3: Now, it should be pointed out, though, that red team thinking has, when it was abided by, if you will, has stopped hundreds of mass casualty terrorist attacks um, before they began, obviously. Um, yes, absolutely. That's, right that is covered is, in the yeah. book. Um, yeah. One final question is when you do a strategic plan and then you red team it, mm-hmm. does it always indicate the need for an organizational reorganize or, or yeah. an organizational redo? Because that is one of the things we're running into with my client now. We've done the strategic plan, we continuously red team it, but now it is thought that it needs a new organizational chart. And I don't know if that translates to the UK. No, absolutely. No, not, doesn't always translate. It doesn't always mean that's the outcome required,
2: but often I think the problems you see from the strategic viewpoint that, you know, the future path it expects to go down as you start to venture down that path, even with a red teamed plan, as it starts to veer off the intended path is often the reasons because of exactly what you are like, Tim. You know, the organizational structure hasn't Mm -hmm. evolved so to me i I call it victorian plumbing we get so often asked hey can you come and put a brand new fancy boiler on the end of my in my kitchen to replace my old one well i can but have you checked your plumbing what do you mean Mm -hmm. you've got victorian plumbing in your house if you strap on a fancy megawatt boiler it's going to blow the pipes it won't be capable then you'll blame the boiler it's not the boiler's problem so the first thing we often do is before you start looking at what your solution the strategy to build you know an online cloud platform or to bring ai to take over all of our back office work or to move to an agile way of working before you do that we do a great great tool called the enemy within which is what are all those problems that you are doing internally to yourself that are impacting you on a daily basis the anchors that you attach to your feet on a daily basis your red tape your bureaucracy that everyone knows about but are almost going "Ah, that's just how it is here it's always been that way or i tried to complain about hr's process and i got told to shut up you know and all of those things but when you bring them out as a stark reality as a group and you see that between 40 and 70 percent of these things are physically occurring in your business then you can say that your strategy will fail and it's not that it's a bad strategy but it won't fit on the foundations you've created you need to replumb you need to replan and refit your organization to To cope with this, and especially when you're moving into what we call it's digital era now, everybody wants digital. You know, so the focus has gone from old school project management of people, process, technology. We seem to have flipped that and now focused on technology, rigorous process, and the people are like a yeah, well, kind of an afterthought. Where I don't know an organization yet, but I've yet to work in one that doesn't have people involved in it. In whatever business you're in, banking, military, hospitals, firefighting, retail. You're in the people business. And that's why the the element of red team thinking is so ubiquitous because it's agnostic to anything. If you've got a human working in your building, we can come in and help. And if you don't consider that people entity in your planning, in your strategies, how they've evolved today, then it doesn't matter how good your strategy is. If you're not going to roll it down the tracks that are fit for purpose, then you're going to come a cropper like like you're finding out already.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to turn it back to Derek because there are some very good questions in the chat. Um, cool. So Derek, Thanks, back Tim. to you. I just got Tim. one final Thanks, question if I may.
0: Go on then Nigel, off you go.
1: Derek, um, Marcus, um, f- a final sort of question is, is red teaming thinking not just simply advanced risk management?
2: <laughs> no, uh, it's funny, I've just been doing pre-mortem this week with a client. And they said exactly that because they are in the cyber world. They've got lots of risk controls and they were like, wow, we thought we were doing this right with what we have in place. And what we've come in with this is completely not. And the whole part of risk management is that sort of sadly becoming what is a tick, tick box exercise where could this go wrong? Not really. High impact if it does, but low probability. Therefore we dismiss it. And then it happens. And then they'll call it a black swan event because nobody saw it coming. The fact you talked about it a month ago and disregarded it because it was low probability. So instead of having that dismissive sort of in a box, in a quadrant, we'll ignore it until it becomes a factor. What red team thinking is doing is saying this has gone wrong. This has failed miserably. And it's that mindset shift, which is, again, why planners don't like it because their baby's being called ugly from the outset. But it's getting into that mindset that allows you to think like the enemy, to be contrarian against yourself, and yeah, therefore you're preemptive. So with risk management, a risk appears and then manifests into an issue, and then you've got a fire on your hands. Using the red team thinking concept, you've seen the steps to that even becoming a risk. So you're not even have to mitigate. You've already put mechanisms in place that allow you to pivot, to avoid, and you've got people into a mindset shift that they're looking for negatives and positives of what lies ahead. Rather than just sort of coasting and waiting for the wrecking ball to come in from left and right, so that's the big difference from what we see with our clients. Is really taking away that is often a you know a nine box matrix way of measuring anything you have like that that becomes a very driven process just becomes a tick box exercise. So you end up filling the boxes, and yeah, we've captured fifty five risks this month. Said so one big bank, and so what? Well, they're in the risk matrix. And again, so what what do they do well they just sat there and what well we'll know about them when they manifest into a major issue but could you not look to them and prescribe something to stop that happening well we could but that's not part of our management process okay how about looking at it from this perspective and putting these mechanisms in place or these trigger warnings to allow you to avoid and have the options in your planning
1: thank you marcus and in true red team um tradition i've spoken once so i'm going to allow everybody else in the room to speak before speaking again i'll thanks, hand nigel. back to derek
0: thanks nigel um interesting question from john vine john was the strategic commander at the g8 conference the police commander um in uh, glen eagles in 2005 i think it was uh, john will correct me if i've got that wrong but that's about it his question is he'd be interested to know your view about dealing with the reluctance to engage with red team processes because some of the participants and maybe some of the leaders feel vulnerable to criticism.
2: Great question, John. Thank you for that. No, that, that is an absolute, that's why I mentioned earlier about the sort of red teaming enemy threat that people perceive. And this is why we say we, we, we only engage when we've got the top cover. You know, if a middle manager asks us to come in, I'll make sure that he's given us the opportunity to speak to his seniors or they're aware and they're engaging because they get this spine-tingling fear when they hear that this is going on elsewhere without understanding what it is. And that's why I say when the reluctance to do this comes from that inner fear, which goes back to their own personal biases, their fear of being an imposter and being surfaced, rather than really understanding what the intent is. And what we can do with these things is, again, it takes – a lady I was working with today, Ellie Cloak, she said this takes out the emotion and the ego – of anything you're doing. So you walk in the room, those things are checked at the door and then we're all one team. And I've done this where I've got a general in the room, all ranks in between and the most junior lieutenant was 23 years old. Nobody cares what rank you're wearing. We're all there for the focused outcome of making whatever it is we're doing better, safer, faster, quicker. And therefore we're not persecuting, we're not bringing the CEO and say, give us your plan, I'm going to tear it apart. It's, sir, Given the complexity of what you're facing, thank you for the strategy your team have put together, and thank you for allowing us to look at it from a different lens with diversity of thought from the different people across the organisation. And what we're going to do is now dissect it all and challenge some of the thinking that went into it, and you're going to get some pointed questions. And we did this with a very big telco for a £5 billion programme. And we had the blue team executive come in and he briefed what he was doing, then every day we red-teamed it, and every day we went back at 4 o'clock with a fixed call with 10 to 50 questions per day. And on a Wednesday, this guy came in, kicked the door open, big New Yorker. I wouldn't even try to do the accent. And he's like, what the hell are you guys doing? Every day you're ringing my guys up, busting their ass about question this, question that. You're not here to rip my plan apart. And I'm like, calm down. Right, here's the intent. All of these questions are surfacing when we're looking at your plan. Now, next week, you're going to go present this to the board of executives, are you not? Yes, I am. I know for a fact one of those executives wants us to bend this plan. He's asked us to can your plan. He doesn't like it. And by the way, any one of them asks the questions that we're asking you next week and you can't answer it, he will jump on that and feast off that, and you'll get thrown out. So please, appreciate the system. Trust the process. It's one of our rules. Trust the process. Go back. Tell your team to keep answering the questions, and when you come back on Friday we'll give you the outbrief, which will arm you to go next week, Let's have a different conversation if you still feel that way. So he came back on Friday, his team were at the back, and they were all, you could say, they were all, come on, tense. And we just set off in a very calm, thank you for your presentation. Thanks for the question. Here's what we've discovered. And you could see their sort of faces going, oh, my Lord, we we didn't think of that. We never saw that. And we finished the presentation, an hour to them on a monster brief, and they were like, Team, thank you so much for this. That just surfaced so many things. We gave him the brief. go and spend the weekend turning that into your own language. The guy went and briefed next week to the board. He absolutely smashed it out of the ballpark. He got spears thrown at him galore, but he just put up his red team in shield. All the data he had, all the questions that he got asked, we'd already asked him previously. And he came back out, came back in to see us, and he sort of came in seriously going, I can't thank you all enough thank you so much. I got speared in there and every single question I answered calmly. I got praise at the end of the board. He left the room with his team praising. And then the executive who'd been in the week before and said, you guys need to bin this planet sucks, came in and said, can I have a word with team leader? And then was like, oh, here we go. Someone's up for the chop. He's disobeyed the direct order. He's stuck to his principles. He's out. So he sort of walked out sheepishly, came back in 10 minutes later beaming smile with the executive behind him and saying, I've just taken exercise. It's not what you thought. I wanted to find out what he did and how he did it. Cause that was one of the best presentations I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like it. And the problem was then this team got overwhelmed because every single strategic plan that got done had to go through the red team because they saw the value in it. And it's that way, as we say that rule number one is if you share your work, don't be a jerk. The army have a very more vociferous way of saying it, but you know, if you're going to red team, don't be a jerk. right? Nobody wants to hear, I told you so. Nobody wants to hear, your plan's rubbish, it won't work. It's about helping. You know, I'm a complimentary addition. That's what we say about red teaming. It's not here to replace agile, lean, or whatever. It's a complimentary capability to support your way of thinking. And if you add this to whatever it is you're doing, say I use it for doing sport, building my shed at the weekend, booking holidays, Going shopping, doing my job, supporting CEOs, supporting firefighters. Right now, there are US firefighters out at the coalface fighting fires using the red team thinking skills we taught them last year on a daily basis. And that's just a fantastic reward for us. But they're like, as you said, Tim, it's just so easy. This stuff is instantly learnable, applicable the next day, and shareable. And you can get your whole teams using these capabilities. Great question. Thanks, John. you on mute John.
0: I was muted then sorry uh, I can't uh, I'm working the controls can't multitask. I think you told me that it, uh, it's you can true. teach people to multitask is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Fire control 101. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we'll have to have you back on for that. Um last last question um before I wrap up and I hope you'll stay on and join us yeah, uh, sure. afterwards for the uh, for the debrief. Um, the cocktails? Certainly. Down the the Zoom line. Boom, boom, we call it. Um, What about unseen threats? So, How do the Red team think the unseen threats that we've seen over the last few years that we just don't know what they are?
2: The black swans and the unknown unknowns that Mr Rumsfeld talked about. uh, You find them because somebody knows about them. There's no such thing as an unknown unknown. You know, somebody somewhere knows. And if they don't, if you ask the right questions, then you can surface the likelihood of something and you can make an educated guess. And it's exactly what we're doing today. We're doing what's called the swan dive, where we take an event and Gary Klein calls it the closest thing you're going to have to a crystal ball. So between the pre-mortem, predicting what could possibly go wrong, then working backwards and analyzing the steps that cause that to what we do today, where it's a swan dive, where we pick an event that would have a major impact should it happen. And then you go to the right like a bow tie and go, right, what are all the implications if this happened? What are the things that could manifest? And then you come left and go, okay, what led up to that event happening? What are the indicators that we'll see? What are the things that if you look around, you know, Capitol Hill was a perfect example. If nobody saw that coming, they were blind because there were so many indicators just by watching the news, social media, talking to people in the street, that was bubbling over and it came to a crescendo and, it, and and any one of those things could have been nipped in the bud early on and this is where it goes back to leadership if you have strong leadership who's got the visibility of all these things occurring and then that's the old picture where you see the hand coming down and the dominoes that are toppling and you stop those dominoes falling that's the ability so i think the, this this fallacy of there's a black swan out there and we did this today and i said right tell me about explain what a black swan from Eco Taleb's idea where a black swan was. It's just the event that's unseen and has major impact, but only with hindsight could you predict it it was coming. And I said, right, give me some examples of black swan. And people, oh, 9-11. Coronavirus. You know, these aren't black swans. Yeah, everyone knew about 9-11 before until it happened. You yeah. know, there was loads of indicators. And the biggest finding from the, you know, the report afterwards there was a failure of imagination between the CIA, the FBI, the defense, all of it. So all the pieces of the puzzle were there, and that's the problem with all these things. Google Bill Bill Gates 2015. He spent an hour-long presentation about COVID and when it's going to come. And we sit here like, wow, we even saw it happening in China, yet still we sat here like a black swan was arriving in March last year in the UK, despite three months of heads up. And therefore, all these things, it's this reticence of what's called the ostrich effect, where you've got your head in the sand, you don't want to hear it. It's what's called normalcy bias, where you possibly can't imagine how bad something can get until it happens, by which time it's too late. And all routine thinking does, it creates those scenarios and puts you in that position of this has now happened. Right. Get uncomfortable or get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Don't sit behind three feet of mahogany in your corner office. We're hoping all's going to be well because it won't get down to the coalface, talk to the troops on the ground, talk to the guys in the production line, find out what's going on. And in doing so, they'll let you know what's coming. They'll tell you the unknowns to you. It's known to them. And it's enabling that engagement, wisdom of the crowd, and the surfacing of the ideas, the answers, the problems, up to the right level of command.
0: Marcus, that's absolutely uh, fantastic. My worry here is, and you won't know the answer to this, is, How do these um, red teamers get it through to the politicians? Because, uh, you know, we all, uh, you can say we saw it coming, but does um, Boris want to believe it? Does Biden want to believe it? I don't know.
2: That's a a good question. Um, The million dollar question, and we're working with the government. I'm in there tomorrow helping them in different areas and civil service. And it's trying to get these people to just accept that you have to slow down to think a bit more you know, and really think, and it's interesting, share a link afterwards, but Dominic Cummins, love him or hate him, wrote a phenomenal blog in June, 2019. And he's a big advocate of OODA red teaming, Boyd, all that sort of stuff, DARPA. And in 2019, so what's this now, eight months before it all kicked off. Great paragraph. He said, the government needs a red teaming outfit that sits across cabinet above them and is there to validate and challenge every decision they make every decision they make and he said it may cost millions to do that properly he said but the billions it will save in blunders and he uses the word blunder and we have seen blunder after blunder after blunder since then it is is unheard of you know and like I said, we did our last live class in March 2020. We're in London teaching this the week the balloon went up. And throughout the whole week, and was, my one of the guys in the course sent me the, the notes on the wall, the, the butcher paper. And every event that happened with COVID, the lockdowns, the travel bans, the school, all the stuff were all predicted by a group of 13 individuals who had no experience in anything, just using the tools and asking tough questions. And you know, state of sort of martial law, national unrest. In America, came to the forefront, and you know that's not over yet. So there's still a lot of decisions going on to to make these ministers see. I I'm speaking to the other half of the team. When we spoke to the other half of the government team the other week, it was just after they'd done the national insurance tax rise and the dividends tax rise. It's like what does it take to make these individuals ask the question before they make the decision? And one of the best effective ways we do this with executives, we write the headline news. So you put the headline news in front of them before they make the decision and go, if you do this, this is the reputation. You're going to get the damage that's going to be on the tabloids tomorrow and the spears are coming inbound. And if you look at the number of U-turns the government have made, passports. We red team that in June and said, this will never happen. Stopped, funny old thing. It's just, it's not going to happen. And they do these things without thinking it. And it's not taking weeks to think. It's a matter of an afternoon against one plan before you make that decision and go live at five on the news would save you absolute faith. I mean, look at the lack of trust now in governments across the globe. And sadly the West, we had a big client in Vietnam supposed to go out last year. And we used to go there because they'd revere the West, were, oh, the West, America, UK business, amazing. We spoke to them after COVID. They said, you guys are now the laughing stock of the world. You know, the, the fiasco that you've created. And then you see Afghanistan. And then you see post-COVID, you know, then you see Brexit. All of these things that are all well-intended, but the the, the way they're being handled and the manipulation behind a lot of the reasoning beggars belief. So that is our goal, Derek, is to be able to get these in. And we're working with MOD, we're working with government, and we're just trying to creep up the pole to get as high as we can to help people see this. Because once you see it, it's almost you can't not do it because it's so simple, so quick. And why would you not? is my challenge to any executive when they've seen this.
0: Marcus Dimberby, can I thank you for your time. Can I congratulate you on the uh, work you're doing on behalf of uh, the Inner Circle, on behalf of uh, Monday Night Live. I'm just gonna put you, you on gallery view. Could you show your appreciation to Marcus in the normal Monday Night Live way? Thank you very thank you much. All. Thanks very much indeed. And Marcus, just uh, just for people listening to this or uh, viewing it on YouTube, how do people get in hold of you?
2: So marcus at redteamthinking.com is my email and if you go to the website redteamthinking.com you can see what we're all about training opportunities and lots more
0: thank you very much indeed Uh, if you're watching this on youtube or the negotiators podcast please like it please pass it on to your friends please pass the message on we've had over 110 interviews with people like Marcus, and we will continue to do this for as long as we can because we need to understand what's happening in 2021 and 2022 and going forward. Marcus Dimbleby, thanks for joining me and I look forward to you joining us once again in 2022 and we'll, uh, we'll review what's happened and see, see what's uh, been going on.